read the sequel to what we're going to consider now from John chapter 3. The same Gospel book, John chapter 3. We've been studying the life of Moses and just concluded the study on the Ten Commandments and pause the, the, the series for now and look at this passage in John chapter 3. Notice we read together that Nicodemus came out of the shadows to be one of the two men that carried Jesus' body from the cross to the tomb. He wasn't always a believer in Jesus. We see uh, his life earlier, just about three years before. One of the night scenes of the Bible. There's a book on the night scenes of the Bible. Interesting. John chapter 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not, or do not not wonder, that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, where it desires, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but you cannot tell whence it cometh and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. May God bless again this reading of His Word to us. Another night scene of the Bible. You know from the Old Testament there are quite a few. Abraham, Genesis 15, was given a a, uh, illustration of God's covenant to save him from his sins. 
in, 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 during the night. Jacob's ladder, you've heard of, you find that in a gymnasium, for instance, but it comes from Genesis 28, where Jacob at night, in a dream, saw a ladder that, that, that was touching earth and it was extending all the way up to heaven. And uh, Jesus tells us in John's Gospel a couple of chapters before that that was a picture of him. He's God and he's man. And like the, the ladder reached into heaven and all the way to earth, Jesus is teaching us that in order for man to be able to have fellowship with God and have eternal life, he must, as it were, get on the ladder, come to Christ for salvation. That was at night. Genesis 32, Jacob wrestled with an angel of the Lord at night. Uh, Jesus walked on the water during the night, as recorded in Matthew 14. Peter was released, was was miraculously delivered from jail the night before his execution, Acts chapter 12. And Paul, when things were getting a little bit difficult, God appeared to him at night in Corinth and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. I have many people in this city that I'm going to save. So it's there are a lot of night scenes, and this is one uh, amazing night scene. The Bible says that earlier in this gospel that Jesus had turned the water into wine. That was his first miracle at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, which was, of course, north. He was from Galilee. He was from uh, Nazareth, though he was born in Bethlehem, closer to Jerusalem. He, uh, Joseph and Mary, you remember, uh, had a home or found a home in, in, in uh, Nazareth. And so Jesus grew up in the northern part of Israel. And uh, we, he was at a wedding there, and, he, and he, uh, they ran out of wine, and, and uh, he turned the water into wine. Now that's truly transubstantiation, turning one element into another. But then it tells us in chapter 2 of John that he also purged the temple. People had made God's house a place of merchandising, a store. And uh, they were make, making profit. And Jesus cleansed the temple, you remember, and, and said, take these things out. People should be able to come to God's house and worship and not be distracted by all this uh, business that goes on. And, of course, that happens so often in churches today. You expect a place of quiet where you'll find the Lord, and so often you find money changers. And you find business going on rather than uh, really conducive to worship. And toward the end of chapter 2, just before this chapter, the Bible tells us that a lot of people believed on Jesus when they saw his miracles. Um, Now, there is a point where Jesus' miracles were intended to get people's attention to show that he was the Son of God. But they weren't just uh, spectacular things that people were just attracted to for that alone, but to be attracted to Jesus and not to his miracles. And so a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon of followers of Jesus because he did spectacular things, but they didn't receive his message. They they just wanted to, to, you know, it's like, Today, you find a popular person in Hollywood or in sports or in business, and people want to just uh, associate with them because they're popular, because they're important, because they're rich or famous. And a lot of people wanted to follow Jesus because he was becoming famous, not on purpose. He was 
ministering to people. He was trying to stay in the shadows and a lot of people just flocked to him just to, just because he was doing spectacular things. But the Bible tells us that he didn't commit himself to the shallow believers. He was committing himself to those who would believe on him, not simply for his miracle working, but because he was the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And that's, notice that at the end of chapter 2 of John, it says, he knew what was in man. Of course, he was the Son of God. And he didn't commit himself to people that were, that were just uh, seeking him for shallow reasons. But he was going to commit himself. Notice it says there was a man of the Pharisees. It doesn't usually would say something like there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus. But it says there was a man of the Pharisees. So John is taking off on the end of chapter 2. And he's saying there was a man that Jesus was going to commit himself to. And so you kind of get a little bit of an idea that this Nicodemus is going to follow Jesus, but uh, he, he, he's shown to be someone that is lost and he needs to be saved. Now Nicodemus, we're told, was a ruler of the Jews, so he was very important. And he, uh, his name was Nicodemus. Now he was a Jew, but the, the name Nicodemus was a Greek name, so he was... His family was probably well-to-do, but they were fully immersed in the Greek culture, where the Apostle Paul tells us that his family wasn't really that interested in being immersed with the Greek culture. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he was a, um, which means he was probably, they probably spoke Hebrew in his home, and they wanted it to be separate from the sinful culture that was out there. But Nicodemus, you could just read between the lines that he was, uh, he was a... Pharisee, which in those days were moral people, but they were the ones that confronted Jesus, remember, because his message was, you can't get to heaven by your works. Heaven is only obtained by faith in Christ. It's a gift from God that cannot be earned. But Nicodemus was a chief ruler, no doubt, of the Jews, and we're told that he came to Jesus at night. Now, you can read into that, certainly, but I think that the correct rendering of that is the Pharisees were, were not very uh, uh, high on following Christ. They, they, and Nicodemus probably came because he was embarrassed because Jesus was not very uh, popular as far as the religious leaders were concerned. Even though he was doing miracles, he was preaching a message that contradicted their message. His message was, repent of your sins and believe the gospel that salvation is by a gift from God and not by works. But their message was, keep all the rules and, 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 and all the, the commands of the Bible and you'll earn your way to heaven. And this was totally con contradictory to Jesus' message. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Notice he doesn't say Lord or Savior. He says Rabbi. And then he says, he's, you're a teacher that's come from God. So he comes to Jesus and he gives him a compliment, so he thinks. He says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that's come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Of course, there's only been one miracle so far. There may have been some more miracles that aren't recorded, and perhaps that's why he gives the plural there. But he's giving a compliment to Jesus thinking that Jesus is going to receive that compliment. In other words, 
he's patronizing the Lord. He's, you know, he's complimenting him. And what does he expect in return? He's a ruler of the Jews. He's, 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 he's well known. He expects Jesus to say something like, "Thank you, Nicodemus," and and I know that you're you're a, a very uh, popular and, and 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 helpful teacher of the Pharisees. But notice how Jesus answers him. And as a matter of fact, it is an answer. Notice verse 3. Jesus answers him. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It doesn't even sound like even related to what Nicodemus says. Jesus went right for the jugular, as it were. He said to Nicodemus, basically, I'm not taking this compliment. You, you're, you're, you've hit way lower than... I'm the Son of God. I'm the Savior of the world. And you're simply wanting a compliment that uh, you're a good teacher, I'm a good teacher, and let's just agree that uh, we're, we're both colleagues. But Jesus went right to the heart of the matter. And he said, Nicodemus, you may be well-born, you may be well-respected, you have all kinds of accolades and all kinds of degrees after your name, but Nicodemus, you're a lost soul. You need to be saved. He went right to the heart of the matter. And I don't I suppose that Nicodemus may have been offended, but we know this much, he was shocked, because Jesus goes on to say, Marvel not that I said unto thee you must be born again. So he he must have been just totally shocked by the reaction. He's thinking this is just a you know, we're colleagues. And the fact that Nicodemus may have been saying, you know, Jesus, you're from the country. You're from Cana. You're, you're from Galilee. I'm from the city, the big city. You're doing miracles. You need sponsors. Why do you want to be in secret? Jesus was constantly going in, out, out praying in secret. He was not wanting the popularity of the famous people. He was out to save sinners. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. And so perhaps Nicodemus is saying, you know, we can help you. You know, we can help you to, you know, you're doing miracles. You would be a great uh, show, as it were, for us. But you need our sponsorship. And Jesus knew exactly what Nicodemus was about. The Bible tells us that Jesus said to Nicodemus that he needed to be saved. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, flattered by Nicodemus' offer. The expected reply again was, Thank you, and you're a fine teacher, a very learned, scholarly man. But he said, Nicodemus, you're a lost man. You need to be saved. Here was a religious man. Is as religious as you can get in those days. He was a, as we might say, he was a pastor. He was a preacher. He was a, a Bible scholar. And yet Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Very shocking reply. But notice he says, verily, verily. And that's, that's, that's unique to John's writings. The double truly, truly is saying something like, it, it's, it's signaling that what follows is a, important truth of grave consequence. 
So he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Literally, except someone receives birth from above, he is not able to see heaven. That's the idea. In other words, Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, you need a radical change in your life. You don't just need religion. You need salvation. Your resume is not sufficient for heavenly entrance. I mean, he had a huge resume, without a doubt. Just like Paul the Apostle. He gives his resume in Philippians 3. I was an eight-dayer. I was circumcised the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. And I was a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He said, I was, a, I was zealous for the law. I was a persecutor of Christians that I thought were heretics. And yet he said, I counted all these things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. He saw that his resume was actually hindering him from getting to heaven rather than helping him. The Bible tells us that there's a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You see, the devil wants to deceive every human being to think differently than what the Bible teaches, what God says, whatever it might be. But one of the major deceptions of the devil is do the best you can and you'll get to heaven. In other words, good works is sure to get you to heaven. As long as your good works outweigh your bad works. This is the, this is the lie of the devil. When the Bible tells us that it's Christ alone that can gain us entrance into heaven. Not what we have done, but according to God's mercy that he saves us. And so Jesus' answer to Nicodemus is a birth. You need a birth, Nicodemus. And the Bible, and when he says when you're, you must be born again, the word again means up from above. It's used in Matthew 27:51 um, about the latter being. Uh, 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 it means it was translated it to, to the top. I'm sorry, when the, the the curtain of the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. It's the word top. It's used later, look at, look at it in John chapter 3, in verse 31. He that cometh from above. That's the exact same word as translated again. So, you must be born from above. It's the exact same Greek word. So Jesus is saying, you need a birth, you need a birth from above. And that new birth will have definite effects. Those three thoughts. So the three thoughts on this text today is the spiritual birth is absolutely necessary. The spiritual birth is supernatural. It's not a natural occurrence. Man cannot cause it to happen. And thirdly, the spiritual birth birth will have definite effects that you'll be able to notice. Notice Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. He didn't say you should be. It's an option. It's one of the ways in which a person can get to heaven. No, he said you must be. In other words, it's the only thing that can happen so that you can get to heaven. You must be born again. The word must means it's absolutely necessary for you to be born again. It's used of Jesus many times when it said, for instance, he must go to Jerusalem and be 
tortured and die. It was absolutely necessary for Jesus to die on the cross to save souls. If He did not go to the cross, we have no salvation because the Bible teaches that all the sins of those who would trust in Him would be debited to His account while He was at the cross. And that's why He said, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? Because at that moment in time when Jesus was crucified, all the sins of His people, that hideous heap of all of our sins, were somehow debited His account. And he was being punished for us. He had no sin of his own. And he said, if I don't die on the cross for your sins, then you have to pay for them yourself. You see, we either pay for our sins ourselves, God is absolutely holy, or we have a substitute. And God provided a substitute. And it was his son. Isn't that amazing? God would provide his son in our place. Jesus, remember, said when he was 12, I must be about my father's business. The same word. Peter said we ought to obey God rather than men. It's the word ought. In other words, you ought to be born again, Nicodemus. You have to be in order to get to heaven. Because we're born in sin, the Bible teaches. The wages of sin is death. Man is dead in our trespasses and sins. And God is absolutely holy. And we need absolute perfection to get into heaven. And we have none. We're imperfect. Matter of fact, we're indebted. We're deep in sin. We need a perfect righteousness to get into heaven. And Jesus provides that. It's by the shedding of His blood that we have forgiveness. The Bible teaches us that we need to repent and believe the Gospel. No unregenerate will ever enter heaven. But all who are born from above will enter heaven. None that are born from above will ever experience God's prison. That's what he means by see the kingdom of God. You'll experience the kingdom of God, heaven forever. And he gives us the double solemnity of this. He not only says verily, verily, he says you must. He's he's underlining the fact that we need Him and we need His salvation. You see, physical birth brings us into the world. None of us uh, came into the world other than Adam and Eve except through birth. We had to come through natural birth to to see the kingdom of of earth. And so you see the, the parallel. Jesus says you must be born spiritually to be able to have heaven, to have the kingdom of heaven. So a true Christian is one who's born again. Though there are many that profess to be a Christian. And Jesus gives the parables about the counterfeit Christians. He says there are those, the devil sows weeds among the wheat, and they look alike until the time of of the fruit bearing. And there are a lot, Jesus teaches there are a lot of of people that look like Christians, but they're not. And for 18 years, I said, I'm a Christian because I have a label or because I go to church, but I, had, I didn't have the new birth. I wasn't saved. My, my sins were not taken away by Christ. A true Christian is born again. Paul thought he was a believer. 
And he's on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians and to put them to death. And the Lord struck him down off his high horse. Maybe he was indeed on a horse, but, but he struck him down. And, and he thought Jesus was an imposter. And Jesus is speaking to him from heaven. Saul, Saul, why dost thou persecute me? Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. And it was an absolute shock to Paul. He thought Jesus was in hell. He thought that after Jesus died on the cross, people who died on a cross were criminals. He had no clue that Jesus was the Son of God and the Messiah and His Savior. And so the Lord, on that day, opened His eyes and showed Him that His works righteousness is to no avail. Matter of fact, it had hindered Him from heaven. And so Paul would say, I count all things, yea, but dung, that I might win Christ. So the, spirit, the spiritual birth is an absolute necessity. Secondly, the spiritual birth is supernatural. Jesus said it's from, from above. Salvation has to come from the Lord. You can't, there's no recipe that you put together and, okay, now I'm a Christian. A Christian is someone who is radically saved, radically changed from the inside out by the power of God. John says it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And that seems so contradictory, doesn't it? That blood can cleanse? Blood stains. But he's talking spiritually. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's why they call this name Jesus. The name Jesus means the Lord saves. But notice that when Joseph was told to name his son, born of a virgin, born of Mary, Jesus, he didn't say, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for God shall save his people from their sins. Like when we name our children Joshua or Benjamin, or we, we're, we're pointing to the Lord. But it says, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. In other words, he was the one that was the Savior that would be born of the Virgin Mary. And like Paul said to King Agrippa in Acts 26, why should it be thought a thing incredible that, with you that God should raise the dead? He raised Christ from the dead. And if He raised Christ from the dead, He can save our dead souls. He can raise us spiritually from the dead. The Bible says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I can remember when I was in that, a church, the church service in West Virginia as a freshman at WVU. You know, it's a long story, but a lost man that lived next door invited me to church because he had been invited by Christians many times and he finally said, I'm going to get these guys off my back and I'm going to go this morning. But he, you know, misery loves company and so he asked me to go with him. And to me, church was just stained glass windows and repetitious prayers and incense smoke. It just, it just was not real to me. But this was an old country church in Morgantown, West Virginia and and uh, two Christian fellows met, met me at the, at, in the lobby of my dormitory. And they were so overexcited. Over they were expecting one lost man, and they had two to put in their car. And 
on the way to church, they're asking my name and my major and where I'm from. I'm thinking, wow, what did I get myself into? These guys are a cult or something. You know, but when I got to the church, the people were real. They started to shake my hands and, and say, we're glad you're here. and May God bless you. And I just sat with my next door neighbor and heard a simple gospel message like about Nicodemus. And my, my, room, my next door neighbor just sat as cold as ice. He was the one invited. And yet God smote my heart and revealed to me that I was a lost soul, that I needed to be born again. And I remember thinking, I can't leave this place unless I'm really changed. I can't just say a prayer. I know it's nothing I can do. Whatever he's describing has to be God working in me. I can't just dream it up. And I remember just saying, Lord, do this to me. I can't do it myself. Whatever it... Whatever you t- say a Christian is, make me this morning. And you know, it's just like the scales dropped from my eyes. I cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you, if you have had that experience, you know what that's like. Old things start to be passed away and all things have become new. I didn't own a Bible. I hadn't even hadn't read it. And I going back to the dorm, what do I do? I just try to tell people what had happened to me. And I thought everybody would believe. But one by one, they went right back to their rooms. And How could it be that God would give His Son and save us from our sins and give us the hope of eternal life? And it's like, it's, it's no news to them. It's offensive news to them. They call home to Syracuse. Try to talk to as many relatives. You're in a cult. You know, you mean they have the truth in West Virginia and everybody else is going to hell? I said, no. I said, I know this much, that that little church has the truth. And they just opened the Bible and said, this is what God says. We need to know what God says. It is a supernatural work, just like Titus says in Titus chapter 3. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but because of His mercy He saves us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. You see what Jesus said? What did He mean by when He, when he said in verse 5, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Just like Titus says, the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit, it's talking about the new birth. And just briefly, let me just... And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you should know these things. You're a teacher. You should know the Bible. You teach the Bible. What I'm saying to you is found in the Scriptures. And I believe he was referring to Ezekiel chapter 36. Look at Ezekiel 36. or You can just listen. This is... This is one of the several texts in the Old Testament that indicate what, what, what he meant by being born of water and of the Spirit. In other words, two for one. Chapter 36 of Ezekiel, verses 24 and following. I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments. You see, when Jesus refers to water and of the spirit, just what Ezekiel said, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean. And then he says, a new heart and a new spirit will I put within you. That's what Jesus is referring to. It's not simply saying you need to be born once physically and secondly spiritually. Though that is a truth, and Nicodemus did seem to sense that. Should I go into my mother's womb again? But he expected a no answer, obviously. But Jesus was saying, no, we're, we're talking about a spiritual birth that comes from above, that only God can perform. And so every true Christian is a miracle of God. We're changed from a sinner into a saved saint. And that is the work of God. Jesus tells us, you must be born from above. But people will say, well, how do I know if I get born? You know, Jesus answers that because he says, don't be shocked, verse 7. And by the way, the first time he says you must be born again, it's, he talks to Nicodemus alone. Verse 3 is singular. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But notice in verse 7, it's plural. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Ye is plural. So I think what he's, Nicodemus had said to him, we know that you're a teacher come from God. So Nicodemus was representing his religious colleagues. And so as it were, Jesus was not only saying to Nicodemus, you've got to be saved. He was saying, go back to your colleagues and tell them the same message. That they have to be born again. And that's what got Jesus into trouble. Because the religious authorities thought we're right with God, we we're we're the teachers of the Jew of the people, and Jesus was saying no that the preacher needs to be saved. If the if the preacher isn't saved, how can he preach to the pew to be saved? In other words, isn't it an amazing thing in history of we have heard of preachers who've been saved preaching their own messages? But what a horrible thing to be a to be an unsaved preacher, to make a living preaching the Bible and you don't even know God. People will take it as a profession. It's a way to make a living. It's a way to earn a paycheck. And they don't even know God. And if there's a dead pulpit, you can understand why there's a dead pew. There has to be a, a living soul in the pulpit. And the question comes, first of all, preacher, do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord? And Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, you're a preacher that doesn't know the Lord. You've got to know the Lord first, Nicodemus. And so Jesus in verse 8 gives the illustration of the wind. Because Nicodemus was no doubt pondering, well, how do I know? How does someone know he is born again? He's got to be, you said, in order to go to heaven. It's got to be a supernatural work, but how do you know it happens? And Jesus gives them the illustration of the wind. The wind blows where it desires. You can't always tell. Where's it coming from? You certainly can't. Sometimes they can't even tell which way it's going to blow. Well, most of the time it's a west wind. Yet the wind blows where it desires and you hear the sound, but you can't tell where it comes and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. In other words, Jesus is saying it's invisible, but it has effects. You know the wind's blowing, though you can't see it because you feel it or you hear it. 
And he's saying, a person that's born of the Spirit, though you can't see it happen, it's an invisible work of God in the heart, the results will be unmistakable. What are those results? Well, let's give the illustration of birth. Physical birth. How do I know that that a child's born? How do you know that your child, your son, or your daughter is born? Not long before you hear a cry. Before you hear a cough. Before you, you see the child breathing or the child begins to eat. It begins to grow it, or it laughs or it opens its eyes. You know it's born. There are unmistakable effects. How do I know that you, how do we know that someone, how do you know you were born? Well, we're here. We've grown. Well, the spiritual birth, how do we know that the newborn babe in Christ begins to cry out in prayer? We begin to desire spiritual things. Where before we had no interest in reading the Bible. That wasn't food for us. That was poison for us before. Now we realize what Jesus said. We can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from His mouth. And like a newborn child, we begin to smile. We begin to, to love. We begin to have joy and peace and long-suffering. We begin to have the fruit of the Spirit. The people that we didn't love before, we now love because they're God's children. And it's interesting that John's first epistle gives us several effects, evidences of per- that a person is born again. He'll say something like, He that is uh, he that is born again, dot, dot, dot. And you look in First John, he gives these evidences. A person that is born of the Spirit believes that Jesus is the Christ. It's a simple, you believe the doctrines of the Bible. You want to do right. You're no longer dominated by sin. We confess our sins and we have victory over sin now. Before I was a Christian, I was a drunk. But after I got saved, I realized I can't let that happen anymore. I can't let drink control me. And I cried out to God and other Christians showed me that drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And and the Lord is in your heart now and He can give you victory. And little by little, you realize that you're no longer dominated by any particular sin. Though we sin still as Christians, every day we have to confess our sins. That no sin is a king over us anymore. Because Jesus is king. It's His grace that rules and reigns over us. John tells us if you're born of the Spirit, you'll love those who are true believers. You'll overcome the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We no longer let our lust dictate our lives. John 3.16, that famous verse, Jesus said this to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right there, Jesus tells us, Those who believe in Him and trust in Him as Savior will not perish. You will not go to God's prison. You will have everlasting life. 
Is there any sweeter word than that? Everlasting life. You can put your head on your pillow now and not worry about dying in your sleep. You can get on in your vehicle and not worry about some crazy person hitting you head on. You can have peace to know that that if I died today, I would be with the Lord. And you say, well, how do you know Nicodemus was saved? There's no effect here. It just ends with Jesus preaching to him, giving him the challenge that if you believe, you'll have life. If you don't believe, you'll perish. That's why I say John loves the sequel. We read together the sequel. Nicodemus chapter 19. He's in the shadows. But he's at the cross. A lot of people didn't want to go to the cross. Even his own disciples left because it was such a shameful thing for someone to die a crucified death. But Nicodemus is in the shadows while Jesus is dying. He heard the seven words from the cross. He heard, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He heard Jesus say to that one thief on the cross, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. But he stayed in the shadows. The Bible tells us that when Jesus died, that Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea was a believer. He was a wealthy man that was going to give his tomb to Jesus. Now I wonder if if Joseph realized that it it was not going to be a borrowed tomb. Joseph, I don't think Joseph intended it to be a borrowed tomb. I don't think he knew yet about the resurrection. Maybe he did. Maybe, maybe I'll be rebuked. Joseph, I told everybody down here that you didn't know about the resurrection, so you just borrowed, gave, gave Jesus, you allowed him to borrow the tomb. He said, brother, you think we were dumb people? But, but I'm just assuming that Joseph didn't know. But it was a brand new tomb that had been hewn out of the rock. And he was so in love with his Savior. Even in his death, when people think a criminal dies from crucifixion, it's definite that he was a bad man. But Jesus chose such a torturous way to die to show us what sin is before God. Sin is heinous. And Jesus chose one of the worst ways to die to show us how much love he has for us. And so when Joseph steps out and begs the body of Jesus to Pilate, he needs help. He can't carry the body himself. Even though Jesus had lost, no doubt, a lot of weight, if he was six foot, he still may have been 150 pounds by then. That's a lot to carry. And Nicodemus sees Joseph come out in the limelight. By now, it's no longer dark. And the the three o'clock sun is beating down on everyone at Mount Calvary. And Joseph perhaps is even looking, is there anybody that will help? Isn't there any disciple that will? Peter doesn't step forward. Even John doesn't step forward. But Nicodemus, the man who came to Jesus in the dark, now he comes to Jesus in the light. He doesn't care about his Pharisee colleagues mocking him. What are you doing carrying the the body of a crucified man. He was a charlatan. He was a false prophet. But Nicodemus and Joseph are saying, no, he's the Messiah. 
And I would think that they would know by now, Isaiah 53, that Jesus would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And so Joseph and Nicodemus, in the bright sunlight before all the mockers, carry Jesus to the tomb. They're unashamed of a crucified and died Savior. They loved Him. That's the effect of the new birth. That you're not ashamed of Christ. You're, able, you're willing to go out in the sunlight, as it were, before all. As Jesus said, He that confesses me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. He that denies me before men, I will deny before my angels in heaven. And he was publicly confessing, This is my Lord. He has saved me from my sins. He was right. I needed to be born again, Nicodemus was saying when he was carrying Jesus to the tomb. He was right. All my resume was for naught if I trusted in my works righteousness. By carrying Jesus to the tomb, he was saying, I believe on Christ. I trust in Him as my Savior and Lord. He has given me everlasting life and I will never perish. God will never pluck me from His hand. Can you say that today? Can you say, you know, I thought I was trusting in my works. I thought I was trusting in my... Religion. I thought I was trusting in my good deeds. But I understand it's a gift from God. It's Christ, God's gift to me, that saves me. And it's Him alone. Put your faith in Christ. Trust in Him today. And He will cause you to be born from above. And you will know the effects. And you will have the hope of everlasting life. And also we will all have the challenge to take it public and to confess Jesus openly that He's a great Savior, the only Savior, and that people need the Lord so desperately. Amen.